We talked last week just briefly about um, this Christian myth that has developed over the centuries, a myth about conversion to Jesus, put a lot of air quotes around everything here, conversion to Jesus, um, accepting Jesus, uh, confessing Jesus, some notions that don't really look all that much like what we see Jesus calling people to in the New Testament. Um, Jesus is inviting people to say yes to the work he accomplished for them on the cross. Jesus is taking a wrecking, wrecking ball to any notion that we can save ourselves through our own righteous works. Now, that's true, but Jesus is not just, this is what we talked about last week, Jesus is not just calling you to get your ticket punched to heaven. He's not just handing out get-out-of-hell-free get cards. Jesus is calling people fundamentally in the Gospels and today to follow him. To be passionate, as we say at Preston Crest, passionate for God and compassionate toward people. That's what Jesus is calling us to. And as we follow Jesus, we are declaring his lordship. Not just lordship of Jesus in some religious universal, ambiguous sense, but his lordship, his claim over my life, every aspect of it. And as we heard from Jesus last week in Matthew chapter 7, confessing Jesus with your lips, but denying Jesus with your lifestyle is a lie. That is not Christianity. That is not anything Jesus ever taught or preached. The Christian myth is something that has evolved over the centuries and is nothing like what Jesus called people to. Now, there is joy in following Jesus. There is freedom like nothing else in following Jesus. There is peace in following Jesus. But let's be clear about something. In an age when, when so many churches and so many institutions and so many teachers and preachers are trying to the intention is good to bring more people to Christ by making it easier. Jesus was most often making it harder because the joy and the peace and the freedom are without comparison, but they are not free. There is a cost to you to following Jesus. In fact, as you'll see in many texts, including the text today, it will cost you everything. A few weeks back, Isla and I went out to the Pepperdine Lectureships. We've gotten to do this a few times together now, and I was teaching, and the book was launching, and so we went out to Pepperdine together, flew into LAX, picked up John Scott, our rental car there at LAX, and uh, it was a nice Ford Taurus. I hadn't seen a Ford Taurus. What a nice car and everything, and about 10 minutes after leaving LAX in our rental car, I, I discovered something pretty cool about this car. It had the, the dual climate control feature. You know what I'm saying? Pretty cool. Pretty cool. Isla and I have pretty different tastes about our climates, okay? I don't know if any husbands and wives can identify with that. Um, what she considers frigid Arctic, I consider comfortable. What I consider sub-Saharan blazing temperature, she's like, this is perfect. So, so we had to do And in fact, a couple of years back, I gave Isla the best present I've ever given her, which was a dual control electric blanket. And I think that has... That one purchase, because she can crank that thing up to high, and I just leave mine off, or I just double fold it on her side of the bed and leave it there. 
Um, and I think we've had a 27% uh, increase in marital happiness as a result of that gift. So I was thinking as we're driving this Taurus, I'm thinking maybe this is going to be kind of the same deal. This is going to be great. She's going to be happy. I'm going to be happy. And so we got in there and, and she started out, I don't know, this is, I, I think she started out around 76 degrees on her side. And I put mine on about 72 started getting a little bit cool for her. She could feel my 72 air blowing into her 75 air. So she cranked that up a little bit higher, right? And, uh, and I, th- I started feeling kind of warm. And so I turned mine down a little bit. You see where this is going? All right. After maybe 30 or 40 minutes, she had hers turned all the way up. And I had, it was like 86 and I had mine turned all the way down to 59. And I'm sure this Ford Taurus computer is thinking, what is going on here? And neither one of us was remotely happy, right? It was too hot and too cold all at the same time. And that got me thinking this week about following Jesus. It got me thinking about the lordship of Jesus. Because when it comes to discipleship, dual climate control does not work all that well. Um, Hey, and a lot of people, let's be honest, a lot of people approach discipleship this way. It's like, Jesus gets a control in my life, but I have a control too. You know what I mean? Jesus gets to sit over there in the passenger seat and adjust his, I'll adjust mine. Every once in a while, I may even let Jesus take the wheel, right? And that's the way a lot of times Folks, approach discipleship, um, and while we may not say this, and may, while we may not openly acknowledge that we do this, um, you know, Jesus, for a lot of folks, gets control on Sunday mornings or maybe at a weeknight small group, but pretty much they're managing the controls the rest of the time. Are you with me? Um, in this kind of discipleship, Jesus is Lord, but on kind of more of a part-time basis. And so we don't have to guess, do we, about how Jesus feels about this kind of discipleship, what Jesus would have to say about this idea of giving you in control and he takes a control and being a part-time Lord of your life. In fact, um, many times he's going to talk about this. One of them um, that we remember because of the striking language he uses is in a letter that he sent to this church in ancient Turkey, the church of Laodicea. They were basically a dual climate control church. They wanted a little bit of Jesus. They wanted control as well. And this is what Jesus said in Revelation 3, verse 16 to those folks. Since you are like lukewarm water, my paraphrase of this, since your discipleship is like, meh, Since you are like lukewarm water, you're neither hot, you're neither cold, I will spit you out of my mouth. Wow. That's some strong, almost harsh language there, Jesus. But that letter also conveys to him that this language, this strong feeling comes out of a place of sincere, sacrificial love that he feels toward this group. Just a few verses later in verse 19, he tells them, I correct and discipline everyone I love. 
I correct and discipline everyone I love. So be diligent and turn from your indifference. Be diligent and turn from your indifference. And that may be the word that some folks need to hear this morning. Be diligent and turn from your indifference. The main text this morning I want you to go to, if you have your device or your Bible with you, go to Mark chapter 8 this morning. We're going to spend some time in what is another strong text. This is strong language, and it will definitely get the attention of anyone who's trying to pull off a dual climate control discipleship in their walk with the Lord. Starting in Mark chapter 8, verse 34. Then, calling the crowd to join his disciples, he said... I want to pause right there. That that just seems like a segue, you know, to get us into the meat of the text. But maybe there's more there than just a transition. Calling the crowd to join his disciples. Is he merely trying to gather everybody up so everybody can hear what he's going to say? Well, yeah, that's part of it. But maybe... And often there is in the Gospels, maybe there's something a little deeper going on as well. Calling the crowd to join his disciples. Jesus is not interested in developing a fan base, all right? His mission is to develop followers, right? His mission is to develop what? Followers, not fans, followers. Often, this means for Jesus in his ministry, converting fans into followers. Converting crowds into Christians. That's what that often means. And this is what is going on here. Because Jesus loves us because he's passionate about each one of us. He is going to tell us the truth. He's going to make it clear for us this morning. He is not interested in having you as a fan. Right? So pick up the text again. If any of you wants to be my follower, you must turn from your selfish ways, take up your cross, and follow me. If you try to hang on to your life, you'll lose it. But if you If you give up your life for my sake and the sake of the good news, you will save it. What do you benefit if you gain the whole world but lose your own soul? Is anything worth more than your soul? (laughs) Wow. Jesus, that's that's pretty potent stuff there. Honestly, we're honest this morning, most folks will read that and decide that's, 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 too, that's too strong. They're not interested in that Christianity, right? So either they will go with A, the lesser version that we talked about last week, the Christian myth, the get saved, get my ticket punched, get, my, get out of hell free card, and then kind of park it there, maybe show up at church, but that's pretty much it. Or B, they reject Jesus altogether. And given what Jesus said to the church in Laodicea and what Jesus said other places, it's pretty easy to come to the conclusion that Jesus would actually prefer you reject him rather than trying to 
adopt some weak, lukewarm, watered-down version of discipleship. Either he is Lord or he isn't Lord. He controls the climate in your life or he doesn't control the climate in your life. And so what we find is that many people want to serve the Lord, but only in an advisory capacity. Offer the Lord suggestions, right? The call to discipleship that that Jesus makes is bold and it's clear because he knows that he is the way. He knows I am the only way you are ever going to have real life. Thus, the irony in this text that those who hold on to, those who grasp, those who are constantly reaching out for life, they lose it. Whereas those who simply release control, who lose their lives, they gain it in Jesus. And if we knew his heart, this to me is perhaps the most important thing here this morning. If we really knew his heart and how good his heart is and how full of love is the heart of Jesus, this would sound like good news. This would sound like the euangelion, the good news. But to many, this sounds like bad news. Ouch, I don't know about that. And I think it comes back to the fact that they can't totally trust the heart of Jesus, that it's really good, that he really cares about them, that he really is the way to life. Well, it's good. Letting go of life, you end up finding real life in Jesus. And that means sentencing, sentencing and executing my agenda, my will, my importance. And that's part of the good news. It really is. Because then I clear the clutter out of my life that is blocking the spirit from working in me, from taking me into the way and the truth and the life. Jesus is encouraging the crowds here and us to think about it like this. Hypothetically, I love, I love what Jesus does here. He says, hypothetically, let's imagine that your ambition and your will and your agenda can be released to go completely unchecked, that you really, let's imagine, Jesus says, that you can be the Lord of your life. And you're like, I don't remember him saying that. Well, he does say that. What he says is, what does it benefit you if you gain everything? If you gain the whole world, if you get everything on your checklist, if everything works out just the way you want it, if you get the whole world, but you lose your soul, Jesus says, how's that going to work out for you? Truth is, Jesus died for you, went to the cross for you, sacrificed himself for you because he loves you, gave up his life, so that you can find yours. Gave up his life so you can find yours. And when I accept Jesus, but try to operate 
in my walk with the Lord on this dual climate control system, my selfishness will stifle the life-giving work of the Spirit in me and through me. That's why Dietrich Bonhoeffer, who was a, an amazing writer, ended up being killed by the Nazis, Christian um, pastor Bonhoeffer. He wrote, when Christ calls a man, he bids him come and die. I'll never forget a few years back, we were in Rio, and, and it was a, an average day in our rental facility there, and we we're, were doing Bible studies and things like that, and so there weren't a lot of people around, but there were some of us around, and one of my teammates was studying this elderly gentleman, and uh, this elderly gentleman was ready to cross that line of faith and declare Jesus as Lord of his life and, and be baptized there. And so we had this interesting baptistry. It wasn't anything this nice. It was, a, it was a small water tank that Brazilians would typically put on the roof of their house and, and keep a res- reservoir of water up there. And so there was just enough water and just enough space in this tank to baptize an average-sized person. So this elderly gentleman decided, I'm going to be baptized today. And several of us kind of circled around this this water tank, and my friend brought him out there, and, uh, and he was kind of old and kind of hunched over a little bit, kind of not getting around real great anymore and everything, and my friend was just kind of talking to him about this important decision that he was making, and, and my friend was like, okay, you, you realize this is the moment when you go, you're being buried, and when you go under the water with Jesus today, this is, this is like the old, the old man of sin is dying. And this new creature is being raised. And so they went in the water, and, he, and this elderly gentleman confessed his faith. And one of the features of this baptistry, side note, is since it was small, some people would, um, would, would, would be able to grab the sides of the baptistry to keep a little bit of control there. So, the, you know, a little nervous about having somebody dunk them. And so he did this, this elderly gentleman did this. As they're going under the water, his hands go up, he reaches the side, and my friend is battling this guy because he is absolutely determined, I will immerse this guy completely. He will be immersed. And so he's like wrestling, this guy's under the water, his head is under the water, and my friend is holding there and trying to knock this arm loose and this arm loose and all this stuff. Anyway, this whole process, he was under the water for a, for a good amount of time. And we were actually beginning to snicker and talk amongst ourselves there as, Ke- as Kevin was baptizing this guy. And I'll never forget the look on that elderly gentleman's face when he finally came out of the water, white as a ghost. And we're all trying to control our laughter, barely keeping it together. And we did until the old man said, I thought you were literal about this whole dying thing there for a second. <laughs> Thought Kevin was going to take his life. Oh, my goodness. Well, baptism, I think, is an important symbol of the Christian faith, has been since the beginning, because when a person is baptized, they plunge themselves into a grave. That's what they do. Um, There are things in my life, there are things in our lives that simply have to die that simply have to be drowned so that Jesus can have room to work. So the question this morning, as we kind of wrap up this morning, is this, where do you need to die? What part of your life needs to die? Where is Jesus not reigning in your life right now? 
That's one of the reasons I encourage tithing, and I talk about tithing. Um, it's one of the reasons people don't want to tithe as well. But I believe that when you give the Lord 10% off the top, no questions asked, I believe that you're making him Lord over your finances. When you decide on a weekly basis, I'm going to do this today, got a little extra this month, put a little, I believe that you're taking control. That's just me. I know not everyone agrees with that. But, but the question this morning is, where do you need to die? What life-draining sin is kind of stringing you along? Gossip? Do you relish being parts of conversations where you know something that others don't know? Not terribly flattering about someone else, a story or a rumor or something that you're able to share with folks. You don't talk to the person directly, but you share it, you relish it. You may even justify it in your own mind. No, I'm just sharing information here. But you know there's something not right there. That stuff needs to drown in the holiness of Christ. Maybe it's a judgmental spirit. You're always judging. You're always looking at what's wrong in the other person. And maybe that is something you struggle with. It needs to drown. What about a secret relationship? Could be adultery. Could be sex outside of, of marriage, outside the parameters that God has, has determined and said, this is where life is. Could be an internet relationship. It's not physical, but it's an internet relationship that is essentially emotional adultery. What about pornography? A lot of men struggle with pornography. A lot of men are addicted to pornography. Does pornography give life? Or does it steal life? Does it enrich? Does it build up? Does it fulfill? Or does it leave a person hungrier and emptier than when they started? This is a habit that needs to die. It won't be easy. For a lot of men, Satan has a foothold in their thought life, and it will not be easy to uproot him. There are resources I can help you with. Uh, I'd love to pray with you or just invite you to pray with a mature Christian brother or sister in Christ if you're a woman. Or maybe you need real therapy, counseling from a Christian to help you work through steps to get out of that. Um, nothing to be ashamed of when you step up and decide you're going to repent. That's the way of life. I've talked to a lot of guys about this issue. A lot of good men. A lot of guys who are struggling to follow Jesus. And they want to break their addiction to the glory of God. And I've seen a lot of guys break free. And a lot of guys find that dead part of their soul filling up with life. We all struggle with selfishness. We all struggle with sin. We all struggle with trying to grab a hold of that control and nudge Jesus aside from time to time.
but we are committed as disciples of Jesus to the struggle. We're committed to growing. We're committed to being transformed, not just warming a pew, not just marking time, not just staying in stagnancy, but we're committed to being transformed by the Holy Spirit. So whatever sin you struggle with, Jesus says to you in the text this morning, if you give up your life for my sake, and for the sake of the good news, you will save it. 